Hello, I am Carola, and I'm really glad it says for 1 to 11 because on the plan it said 1 to 41, and I was like, where's the other 20-something verses? But it's all good. We've got Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. It's our final in the five-week series on resolves. We've looked at... Uh, spent some time in Hebrews looking at meeting together, looked at the realities of heaven and hell. We've looked last week at the spiritual drift that can happen in us slowly and what that might look like. And today we're going to look at temptation as we heard from a reading and from what Sue led us through. And so as you read and pray, the thought is, of course, along in your life this year you'll be tempted to turn away from God and His way and His vision of life at times. I'm no fisherman. Uh, I, I actually hate fishing. If you like fishing, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. Um, last time I went fishing was in a boat 15 years ago. And I caught 10 fish. We were out there for about four hours. So not too bad. Helped by the fact it was glass still water. I looked over the side and I dropped the line and the bait on the hook straight down, saw the fish I wanted and then just pulled it up. Rinse and repeat whenever you wanted a fish. It was that easy. And it was terrible. I did not like it at all. Then we went trawling and that was even worse. Um, I put the bait on in their nose and they took it. Sometimes the fish were smarter than me and they took the bait off. Even though I could see them doing it, they'd nibble around, pull it and away they went. And I realised they didn't take the hook without the bait, right? That's doesn't, is not how it works. To attempt the fish, you need the bait. To catch the fish, you need the bait and the hook. That's how it works. Just tick a hook in the ground, you're not going to catch anything. Edward and uh, my dad went fishing a while back and Edward caught some rocks because it was a very windy day and he, the bait flew off in the water and out came rocks because the hook was there. Um, but yeah, catch fish, you need the bait, right? Now that, that terrible story of my fishing reminds me of how temptation works. The aim is the hook, but it has to be disguised covered up, made look attractive if you're going to bite it. Temptation dangles, dangles the pleasure of sin 
in front of you, disguising it to look like something you need, you desire, you must have for your soul to be satisfied, even if we know there's a hook behind it. The design of sin is to make us play it down the real danger because God wouldn't want you to miss out. No one will know it's okay, it's good. Pleasure can't be bad if you feel that way. And that's the inner chatter of our minds, is it not, that happens. So what's the bait that entices you? What's the bait on the end of the hook? End of the hook, I missed the word. You can put it in there. What's the bait on the end of the hook that entices you? What sin, as you reflect on last year and the year ahead and where you are right now today, seems to be a struggle, feels like an elephant sitting on your chest, never leaving you alone? What desire do you have that seems to run against your love of Jesus that you are tempted with in some way? And today, I want you to think deep in your heart and soul and mind into that, whatever you find there at the bottom. However horrible it may be, I want you to to lay that on the pages of God's Word today to hear a deeply encouraging and hope-filled, but probably a hard few moments on what God thinks and has to say to you about that. The aim today is, of course, a better hope, more grace, and pressing on towards holiness. That's the goal. So hear that. But in order to get there, we're going to have to put whatever that hook and that bait is on God's Word and kick that around for a little bit in light of Jesus. And as we do this, know, know too, that Jesus gets your temptation. He really does. Whatever's there deep down that you've just brought up on the Word of God, Jesus gets it. So we'll pick that up in Matthew 4, 1 to 11, just to see Jesus being tempted. It says in the first verse, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then, the first little word tells us this has taken place right after Jesus' baptism. And in the baptism of Jesus, God's voice said, this is my son, my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. And by the purpose and design of God, right after the baptism, um, the Spirit of God now leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Now the wilderness is the place where the testing and tempting of God's people in the Old Testament happens. Jesus is led by the Spirit, following the footsteps of those who have gone before him. Cain, Moses, of the nation of God's people wandering around the desert. He's, he's identifying as one of God's people, right? He's being thrown out into a place of temptation like they were. Now, two questions can arise at this point. So in James 1.13, we learn that God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So the Spirit led Jesus in this place, but the text says very clearly, it's the devil, or the tempter, as he's called in a few moments, who does the enticing with the baited hook. God will never take sin and dangle it in your face and tempt you to take it. What this does show us is that no temptation is a surprise to God. Because every temptation we face, Jesus knows and sympathizes with us. He gets it. Now, the second question is, that might be well and good, but how can, as James said, if Jesus is the Son of God, as God declared in his baptism, how can Jesus be tempted if he's God, right? It's kind of like the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card. How can the second member of the Trinity face a real temptation? 
Well, 75 years ago, someone asked C.S. Lewis that at a conference. And C.S. Lewis replied to the man who said, if Jesus never sinned, he can't know what real temptation is. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, it's a silly idea that good people do not know what temptation means. Only those who try to resist temptation just know how strong it is. Someone who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like one hour later. So we'd say that with Jesus, every temptation he faced, he faced to the end and he triumphed over it, enduring it longer, knowing the pressure longer. You see, there were real temptations, even though he never gives into them. They were most real because he didn't give into them. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted, to feel that pull. And then thirdly, or finally, just notice that the, the devil here is a very real and powerful enemy. He's called a murderer, a, a roaring lion, a liar. He's infinitely more powerful than you and me, but insufficiently powerless compared to Jesus. Right from the beginning as well, the career of Jesus is marked by conflict with spiritual evil. He's been baptized, goes in the wilderness, the, it begins. And the verse 2 says, after, 40 days, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. 40 days not eating. I struggle to go hours without eating. My kids wake up and they're hangry. Do you know what hangry is? Wait, yes, hey, Ben said it. It's when you're so hungry you're angry and life breaks. They need to eat within five minutes of waking up. Not eating, if you've ever gone through, maybe, you've, maybe as a grown-up you don't get as hangry, but you, you go to work at seven and, and you get to three and you think, I haven't had lunch. And you've been in meetings all day and, th- and, and you're just feeling weak and you're feeling tired and you can't concentrate and, and you, there's only so much coffee you can have before it kind of doesn't work anymore. And, you know, your other senses get weak. And that's Jesus right here. And then the drama of this event, uh, event as well, it, it has the idea of compounding events making it worse. Notice how the, 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 the progression, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, that's tough enough, and he was fasting, right? and he was hungry, and the tempter came. Jesus is at his weakest, and that's when temptation becomes its strongest. And just as Satan slithered up to Adam and Eve, he now comes to Jesus. The tempter came to him in verse 3 and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are, this is the same tone in the garden. Did God really say, If you are the Son of God, like God said, This is a direct attack on God's word from 40 days earlier in his baptism because God has just said, this is my son. In Matthew 3.17. You see, Satan Satan is putting a question mark against God's word and against what God has said who Jesus is. And this temptation is to make Jesus use his own power for his benefit. That's what it's up to. What will Jesus do with his power? Will he use it for his pleasure? to meet his needs. Look at what Jesus says in reply. No, I can't do that, actually. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus will not use his ability as the Son of God for his own benefit. It will be under God. So we see Jesus is the one to bring in God's kingdom, will never use his power for his own benefit. The Son of Man came to serve. 
I'm sure Jesus would have loved a big piece of toasted Vegemite at this moment, after 40 days. But he realizes that having a full stomach, following our desires, is not the purpose of our life. After a hungry stomach, as I said, does seem to always reveal where our hearts are. After wandering in the desert, God's people rebel from God, and the first thing they say over and over again is, we're hungry, Moses. God isn't looking after us. We want cucumbers and onion and pots of meat back in Egypt. Forget about being slaves, we just want the food. Does fulfilling a desire, even a screaming stomach, suddenly negate God's word? Does the intensity of your desire give it more priority in your life? Does my lack of something, does my very real need, a very real sense, sorry, of my lack of something, does that somehow give me permission in God's vision to take it on my terms and not under him for his glory? And Jesus says, no, it's not how it works. Even if it means hardship and suffering, Jesus would follow God, not using his power for self-gain. Okay, step it up a bit. Second temptation comes along. Then, it's compounding. See, then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, same phrase, if you are, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. So now he's at the temple, not the wilderness, the temple, the meeting place of God and humanity. Jesus was here as a boy. Now he's here as a man being asked not to follow God, but to make God follow him by showing off his power, by testing God. And to put more pressure on, you can see what Satan's done. Well, if you're going to use the Bible against me, Jesus, I'll use the Bible against you as well, for it is written. Satan says, But like with all misused Bible verses, he's ripped it out of context. The devil's mistake is to confuse the psalmist's stumbling with Jesus' deliberately intentional jumping off the uh, the temple. In fact, just as with Adam and Eve in the garden, the the issue is the word of God. Did, Did God really say you'll die? Oh no, you won't die, says Satan in the garden. Oh, You won't die if you jump off Jesus because the word of God says he'll bring his angels to rescue you. The issue is the word of God. Satan wants to overturn the authority of God, flipping it. Instead of Jesus obeying the Father, he wants God to obey Jesus. And then Jesus quotes a verse back at him, showing the relationship he will have with God and how he will use his power. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And the final temptation is about power again. But Satan doesn't want Jesus to use his power for himself or to flip the authority. He wants Jesus to now give up his allegiance to God. Look at verse 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. A true thing is now twisted. Because the kingdoms of the world actually do belong to God. It's just right now as a human, Jesus isn't the ruler of them. Revelation cracks this open a bit and says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he'll reign forever and ever. That is the future reality. You see, Jesus would receive the glory of the kingdoms of the world, directed at him whenever he bows and confesses Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But when does that happen? After the cross. 
not before. This is a shortcut of that. And then Jesus replies in the same way with God's word for a third time. uh, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, the Son of God will defeat Satan not by succumbing, but by suffering the consequences of the temptation that Adam gave in at the garden all the way through into this moment and into our lives. Away from me, Satan, I'll use my power under God for his glory. And that's the issue with temptation right there. These temptations are all about trying to get Jesus to give up being the suffering servant, to take power apart from God's vision away. You get all this, all the glory, all the pleasure, all the joy, without suffering the cross, without redeeming a people for yourself, and ultimately without God the Father getting the glory. Can you see how the hook of temptation pierces and bites? Offering a sinful vision of life by shortcutting God's vision. And how many of our temptations too are simply good things, just not being brought under God's vision for life? How much of my temptations are me trying to rule or gain power or fulfill desires that remove and dethrone God's glory, God's vision? Temptation dethrones God's word and the worship of God in my life. And then finally, in verse 11, notice this, then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The thing about temptation is it does end. Now, it might be relenting every day, but it does actually come to an end. And often you feel battered, you feel worn out if you don't give in, physically, spiritually. But you see, God knows what you need. And the very help Jesus rejected when Satan said, turn the loaves to bread, God now gives in the right time. He'll provide exactly what you need at exactly the right time in exactly the right way to glorify him in your life. Temptation will never lead to that. So let me finish just with two thoughts about temptation in our lives and what that means to that Jesus went through this uh, today. Firstly, Jesus is the faithful human. You must know that. Please know Jesus is the faithful human. And please know that it is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted three times. What we saw in those moments is that Jesus knew who he was. He was the Son of God. He knew who God was, the only one to serve and worship. And he knew what God's vision for his life was. It was the way of the cross. And when faced with manipulating God or doubting God, he knew God's true nature and character as revealed in his word. When tempted with power, he knew that worshipping and serving God is where true greatness is found. Is what Hebrews 15 points out, our high priest, that's Jesus, has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The implication is that Jesus didn't sin, yet we do, and we're tempted to sin and we give in. So let us. You see, Jesus is the faithful one, unlike Adam. He didn't follow Adam's footsteps. He was in full submission to God, He suffered then, ultimately, the consequences of temptation and evil, even though it was never his. Jesus went to the cross, suffered, died, for when we sin and give in, when we don't glorify God, he dies not for his evil, but to defeat evil for us, which means we have a Savior who is faithful and obedient for you. 
Jesus is the faithful one. Come to him. And secondly, we learn that God's word is a delight. A quick quiz. What is sweeter than honey? What is more valuable than gold? What is a delight for our souls? And what is a very, very sharp sword? The answer? God's word. The thing about temptation is that it dresses up the hook of sin and for all it offers, it's only ever going to rob you of your soul and rob you of God. It looks sweet, seems valuable, seems delightful, but it pierces us, whereas God's word pierces it. For it is written, for it is written, for it is written, Jesus said three times. And the profound reality, and we could say lots about overcoming temptation, but the profound reality is simply this. When there's a superior treasure in front of us, that is what we need. The power of temptation relies on us believing sin is better and it rests on saying God is not good, God's work can't be trusted, your pleasure is better. But, as Psalm 16:11 says, you make known to me the path of life, speaking of God. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. They are found in God, not in, tempt, not in giving into temptation. Which means there is greater joy in God, with God, knowing God, than in whatever temptation offers. There is a greater joy in following God's vision for life than whatever temptation says is the better way. And therefore, as we think about 2023, would you be resolved to follow God in the face of temptation this year, anchoring yourself in this God, in the faithfulness of Jesus? Would, would whatever the, the hook and the bait is for you, would you know you have a faithful Saviour? Would you know there is more joy in God's word than in whatever is in front of you? Not the fleeting pleasure of sin. And, and don't think you have to be superhuman or strong in the face of temptation. Don't think, I just have to give in, there is no hope. It, you just come to the throne of grace through your high priest who gets every single second of life in your shoes and who's more faithful than you will ever be and gives you more joy than you will ever imagine. Let's pray. Our holy God, you understand what life is like for us because as we saw, Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. And God, on, uh, on the pages of your word is where joy and knowing you, that, where that joy is found. And I pray for each of us, whatever that, that thing, that, the bait that entices us, this year we would see you are more joyful, you are better than that. And that we would be a reminder we have a faithful suffering servant all along the way that gives us grace and mercy. So thank you, Jesus, that you get life like one of us. May you be given the glory. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.